Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to episode 12 of the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Phil, who are we chatting with today? Yeah, we get to hear from John Sowers, who's the president and co-founder of The Mentoring Project. And The Mentoring Project is a, is a great organization that's working to just get into the lives of young men and women who have really been affected by the fatherless crisis. And so John brings a lot of wisdom to this. He himself um, was fatherless uh, as a child, and it's something that he not only brings um, a life of, of a man who studied this and has written a couple books on these issues, but he brings a lot of experience. And so I just uh, look forward to have everyone be able to hear from John and to hear his heart and to hear the wisdom that he's able to uh, share with us about these really difficult issues. As always, we would love to hear from you and any thoughts you might have on fatherlessness, what that might stir up in you, any thoughts, questions. And also, if you could just take a, a few minutes to rate our podcast on iTunes, that helps to get the podcast out there. And we would love for more people to hear the conversations that we're having about the orphan crisis around the world. So let's get to the interview. John, it's great to have you here today. It's great to be here, Phil. Thanks for letting me on the Think Orphan podcast. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just glad that people are going to be able to get in uh, and kind of be into a little, a little bit into our conversations that we've had over the last few years as we've gotten to know each other. Um, and uh, I do know, though, that a lot of people may have heard of the Mentoring Project, may or may not have, um, but they really don't know who you are. Uh, I was hoping you could just share a little bit with, uh, with our audience. Just who is John Sowers? Yeah, man. Uh, well, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband and a dad. I have two four-year-old daughters and they're twins. And um, we, uh, we have a good time. And um, I co-founded The Mentoring Project um, about seven years ago with an author, uh, some of you guys know, named Donald Miller. And um, so we were living in Los Angeles at the time. And so we moved to Portland to kind of uh, incorporate it and launch it. And so I've been the president uh, since then and, and uh, leading the initiative. And it's uh, been a lot of fun. And it's taken us from Portland. And then we opened another office in Oklahoma City. And we've opened uh, several chapters in the country. But that's that's what I do professionally. And I uh, write books sometimes. And I, I like to get out in the outdoors. And um, I like to read books. And I love music. So... Uh, I'm not sure if that sounds kind of like a, a commercial or an advertisement you would find <laughs> online, but uh, it would be like, you know, married uh, guy, and then I'd have all my like hobbies and stuff and my sign or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, that that's something that I've appreciated with uh, reading your books. And I know you had the, the two that I've read, and I think they may be the two that you have out. Um, the Heroic Path is one of them and The Fatherless Generation. Um, you've really been open and vulnerable and just really shared a lot into, into your life. And I've, I've gotten to know you through that as well as other ways, but definitely appreciate those books. I strongly recommend them to anyone out there. Um, and, uh, just, you know, you mentioned the mentoring project as did I, uh, what, what just generally, what does the mentoring project do? Yeah. So the mentoring project is basically, um, we recruit and train and match mentors from the faith community with the kids that need them. And a lot of the kids we match have been identified by police officers. So we actually work 
with gang prevention units and they identify children as being at risk for a gang, uh, gang activity. Maybe their older brother was that or maybe their older brother is shot or they've done drugs or something. And so we, we work directly with those kids. And we also resource churches kind of all over the country and all over the world, um, honestly. And we send them what we call our mentor toolkit. And so it has a field guide in it for training and an operations guide, uh, how to do things. And uh, it's just a solid uh, piece that we've uh, – it outlives us and it's a lot bigger than us. And so our staff can be fairly small, but our mentor toolkit can actually have a lot of impact beyond – you know, the walls of our office and, and our staff. Yeah. And I know that, uh, my, my friends here in, in Northern California have used that, uh, toolkit. I've used it to teach in my classes on mentoring. Um, and I, it, it is a fantastic resource. How could people get their hands on that if they're looking to, to kind of get involved with mentoring at their church or in their community and really want to know how to, how to, how to do it? How can they get their awesome. hands on that? Yes, we, we, we have two versions of that. We have like the individual version if you're an individual wanting to mentor or find out more about mentoring. And so we have the individual version and then we have like the church or business version that would be like for a small group, uh, like a small group Bible study or men's group or something like that or a women's Bible study or something. And both of those versions are online uh, at thementoringproject.org. And so that's kind of where we have our resources and we have blogs and all kinds of different tools. We want to really set people up to win when they're mentoring. And we want to help them understand how their faith applies to mentoring and how um, some of the very simple principles of the Bible, the most simple principles like showing up, like that's what Christ did for us at the incarnation and at Christmas. And he walked with us. He walked with the 12 and he walks with us today. He'll be with us always. That idea of with you in the incarnation is, is super powerful, but it's very simple and very easy to translate into mentoring. And so that's one of the things we kind of hang our hats on. And we say, if you're going to be a successful mentor, uh, you, you have to show up. And so we, we talk about showing up. We talk about modeling and, and imitating Christ. Uh, we also talk about speaking in and coaching, uh, which is uh, the idea of uh, you know speaking into another person's life with grace and truth. Mm. Yeah, and it is, it is like you said, it's very simple, but it's very complex in each of those things. And, and hopefully we'll have a little bit more time to go into that a little bit later. But I want to back up a minute um, and just kind of get the, under, the undergirding of this story and the undergirding of, of, of why the Mentoring Project exists and why it's necessary in our communities. And, and you've talked about in the fatherless generation, and, and that, the full title, I just love the subtitle of it. It's Redeeming the Story. Um, you talk about the effects of fatherlessness on fatherless children and on society in general, particularly the strong correlation between fatherlessness and major societal issues we face today, like depression, incarceration of youth in particular. What, what is missing in the lives of children uh, when they don't have a father? You know, it's interesting. Um, it's a real interesting conversation right now because in our country, we're still, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of debate about gender and about the issue of manhood and womanhood, about roles, about even uh, science. Uh, you know, science for years has dominated most of the conversations, including the gender conversation. So, you know, the scientists of yesteryear, maybe even of yesterday, maybe today would say, well, if you have, you know, whatever it is, eight pairs of Y chromosomes in every cell of your body, you're this gender. If you don't have those Y chromosomes, you're not that gender. But today you see that gender conversation coming in 
And so there's actually some interesting backlash against people who say fathers matter. And I've seen that with fatherless generation. I never would have thought that mm. because we have about uh, five or six decades of objective studies, empirical data that say fathers matter. And when fathers are not around, children are more likely to drop out of school. They're more likely to have unwanted teenage pregnancy. They're more likely to join a gang, uh, youth violence, uh, do drugs or commit suicide or even self-injury. Uh, and so we have this just studies that after studies and decades of studies that say fathers do matter whether we want to admit that or not. And mm -hmm. so there's interesting, there's a lot of backlash and, and it's, and it's, to me, it's not an exclusive or hateful thing for me to say fathers matter, but I've actually had backlash toward me when I say fathers matter because people say it's an exclusive, it's an exclusive, uh, idea. I don't think it is. I was raised by two women. And so if anything, uh, I'm a feminist, meaning uh, I'm an equality feminist. Uh, I think women have equal value and should have equal opportunity and equal pay and all these things. And in fact, I would probably trust women quicker than I would trust men a lot of times because my mom worked three jobs and, and sacrificed her whole life for my brother and I. My grandmother you know, moved in from the country from her, from her home. She had this real nice home that my grandfather left her and she moved in from that right. to be with us and to raise us. And so fathers do definitely matter, but it doesn't, it's not an exclusive idea. I mean, I was, I was so blessed to have two great women raise me. And so I've been the product of that and the product of some great mentors. But when fathers aren't, aren't around, it does uh, scientifically and empirically matter and it matters in kids' lives. And we're seeing that today. And so um, it's really kind of a, a challenge. Um, it's a challenge for dads. One of the good things I'll say about it is that uh, the laws have changed a lot since when I was growing up. You could literally um, not live anywhere near your kids. There, there, was, there wasn't as many restrictions. And now the court really tries to keep parents in the same city and within proximity so that for the benefit of the kids. There are some actually some pro progress, uh, progressive laws that have helped uh, this, the fatherless idea. But overall, when kids are growing up without their fathers, uh, there's devastation. And we see this in the inner cities. And it's not a political issue. I mean, you see Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who's about as liberal as they come, uh, whether you're liberal or conservative, it doesn't matter, but he's about as liberal as they come, the mayor of Chicago saying, uh, and, and by the way, Chicago leads the country in homicides and has mm -hmm. the past few years. Um, and so Mayor Rahm Emanuel is saying, these are fatherless kids shooting each other. They don't have dads. Basically, they're fatherless kids joining fatherless gangs and they're shooting other fatherless kids and young men. And so we see this devastation um, kind of enacted on our communities when dad's not there. And some of the, the tangible things I think kids miss are kind of the steadying impact, the discipline, also a, another earner, a breadwinner. Because like for me, my mom had to go work three jobs. Hmm. So she couldn't be in the home. So technically, if it wasn't for my grandmother, we would have completely raised ourselves. You know, I'd come home from school every day at seven or eight years old and I'm by myself, but my grandmother moved in and, and kind of filled that role. And so I would be raising myself. So we have a lot of kids whose moms are just trying to make it. Some of their moms are being heroic and doing great work. But um, it's hard for a single parent who has to work outside of the home to also parent inside the home. It's kind of a, um, almost an impossibility or a very difficult situation. Right. And a lot of the conversations I have with people, it's not so much a, you know, can a mom do it? Can a mom raise a child? Obviously it can happen. We see it happen every day, but it's more a conversation of what is missing. 
Right. And how can we kind of bring that um, into the fold? And I know that the the mentors often will be the one that can come in and, and really um, fill that that void, so to speak, that that comes into there. And what what have you seen just from personal experience? I mean, your own personal you know, your, your experience, but also just from watching mentors come in, what is that that you really think, again, is missing that is filled by that, just a, simply a, a man or, or a woman as a mentor coming in and filling whatever was missing in that child's, you know, youth? That's right. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of times we are too smart for ourselves. And so I'm going to say that again. <clears throat> I'm coughing here. I think, um, you know, what's missing. A lot of times we're too smart for ourselves. And so we think we need all these fancy programs and programs are good. Um, and we think we need all this stuff, but you know, there's something beautiful and simple and powerful when, when a person shows up in your life with, um, caring intention, with unconditional presence, with faithful, uh, uh, time, uh, commitment and faithfulness over time, there's something that really happens because, over time, you begin to understand, hey, this person is for me. This person likes me. This person, I mean enough to this person to, that they, they want to come be around me. And as amazing as that sounds to some of us, a lot of the kids we work with, and I would say most of the kids we work with don't have that. Or if their mom is out, they don't feel that, especially not from a man. And so um, when a man shows up in someone's life, even if he's not slick or educated or smart or even employed, he, he can provide great meaning. You know, there's a cool Bible, Bible verse that says, um, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and truth. And so when we love someone with actions, we show up in their life, we're faithful to them, we cheer for them, we're aware of their life, we're uh, pouring into them. And so just that act over time of showing up for someone is very powerful. And I would say that the people that mean the most to us, all of us, uh, you, Phil, or the listeners, are the people that showed up for us. In the same way, the people probably that, that have hurt us the most in life are those who've left us or abandoned us or not shown up or betrayed us or something like that. And so when we show up for a generation, we're beginning to uh, – reverse the idea of rejection. So if your deepest soul identification, especially as that pertains to paternal authority, to fatherhood, is one of rejection, showing up is just the opposite of that because it's saying, hey, this guy's not leaving. He's not going to just bail. He's been here for six months or a year or two years or longer. And that begins to change your whole perception if you're a young person, uh, not just of yourself, but of men in general and of who you could become because now men aren't some elusive group out there that, that are just an impossible achievement. They're actually somebody that are normal and they make mistakes and they say they're sorry when they screw up, but they're also somebody that you can emulate and you can be, want to be, become like. You know, children, children want to be what they see. They aspire to be what they see. And mm. so um, there's a lot of sons today that work as plumbers because their dads were plumbers or they work as pastors because their dads were pastors or they – um, whatever they do, um, you can look at so many jobs all over the place and see, oh yeah, that's, well, your dad did that. And the same influence a mentor has over kids where a mentor shows up, they can have an occupational uh, influence. They can have a hard influence. Uh, they can have security and character influence, good or bad. And a lot of us think mentoring is a positive term. I think it's a neutral term. So you could mentor someone to positive, a positivity to good character to say literacy 
or you can mentor someone into like a gang leader or selling drugs or destruction. And so, um, you know, we're excited at the mentoring project. We get to see a lot of great people um, doing some amazing things for kids. And it's, uh, it's hard work and you have to slog it out. But at the end of the day, we keep doing it because we see kids' lives change. And so that's, that's, that makes it worth it. Yeah, and I think that uh, I just that you said that about it. it mentoring is neutral. It made me think of the Lecrae song, "Just Like You," and where I don't know if you listen to Lecrae at all, but that song yeah. um, just goes through how you know he wanted to be just like you know his uncles, his uncle, and the other people in his life who were gangbangers, who were in prison, right. and then it, you know he ultimately goes back to Jesus, where you know then I saw an actual example, but you know, we can have people who are embodying that Jesus, uh, for us here on earth. And, and that brings up into a couple things that it just makes me think of from your book, the heroic path, where you had a couple quotes in there and I'm just going to read those quotes that, and just have you speak to them. Um, and ask a little bit of question then have you expand on it. It's basically one first quote is our greatest challenge as men is to carry our assigned weight. I think being a man, is making the stubborn daily choice to carry our own weight, even when all hell breaks loose around us. And then the other one, both you and Bob Goff in the foreword, um, say the men who change history are those who love well. And I want to ask that in the context of, as you said, showing up and just commitment um, to the point of, I've talked to people about mentoring and said, you know, if you're going to mentor, you're committing to this child for life. Um, and if you can't make that commitment, not necessarily saying you're going to stay in the same city the whole time, but you, if you can't make that commitment, you're better off not starting. Do you agree with that in the context of those, those, uh, quotes, especially, and then everything else you're talking about? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, yeah. So the, the idea of carrying your weight first is the idea of responsibility. And so, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, that's part of the, the deal of fatherlessness. I mean, there is unwanted teenage pregnancy, but a lot of the issue of fatherlessness is is the issue of fidelity. So it boils down to fidelity, to faithfulness, to um, why is dad leaving? Uh, and it's not always dad's fault. I mean, I know women leave, and I know that sometimes it's mom's fault, or sometimes uh, there's a there's a death in the family, or different things happen. So I don't want to pin the blame all on dad. Um, at the same time. Um, you know, I do think it's, it's, it's a man's role to carry his weight. And part of that weight, you know, is loving well and trying to love well. And loving well is, um, doesn't always feel good. It's not like the notebook, you know, like I'm not always, you know, feeling like I'm on a Ferris wheel in the rain or making, you know, love in a muddy mud puddle, you know, it's like right. whatever those things feel like. Um, it's, uh, it's also this idea of, of loving someone to the cross and something that speaks to me even as I talk about it. Because I know it's such a high bar that it humbles me to talk about it because I kind of hear the little red lights go off in my head going, I could do this better by the grace of God. I, I will do it better. But wow, you know, like this is this is love like this. These nail pierced hands and this wounded side and this one who can walk towards a cross and then die whispering forgiveness on us all. You know, that to me is it. And that's what I was talking about when all hell breaks loose. The book Heroic Path 
Um, it's unfortunate the description is not better. Um, I, I didn't write the description. I don't think I turned it in on time. <laughs> and so it, the description is actually not what the book's about. It says God, it says God called men to be heroic. I'm like, no, not, I don't really agree with that. Um, actually to be honest, it's kind of funny. A little insight in the publishing industry. Yeah. It's kind of funny. And that was my bad. So I don't blame them. I think I probably <laughs> turned in the description too late, but the description really is that one person, there was only one that walked the heroic path mm. and his walk was from, you know, uh, the garden to Golgotha uh, to beyond and with the risen beyond, you know, and so that's our, that's our path. How that applies to mentoring. You know, there's a couple of schools of thought and I know this is an orphan podcast. I think mentoring is the baseline of orphan care. Mm-hmm. And so you can show up in a kid's life once a week for a long time. I do think you need to be prepared for the long haul. However, um, if you have to move or something happens, uh, as long as you're up, up front about that, I think it's okay. I had three different mentors, big, big brothers, uh, through the big brothers, big sisters program. Mm-hmm. I had my first one when I was six and then I had another one when I was about nine and the, the first one had, he had to have brain surgery and mm-hmm. they didn't tell me, but he could have died. And so he actually moved away to get surgery and he told God that if he lived, he would become a preacher and he's a preacher in Kansas and has been for like you know, 20 years and he just retired. Um, but then the second one got a job transfer out of state. Mm -hmm. And I remember he just told me, you know, he had to, he had to go, but, um, we still talked probably once a year for a while and that was okay. I think, I think the damage comes in if a, um, a promise is made like, Hey, I'm a mentor. And then all of a sudden the mentor just doesn't show up again, or it just becomes another one of the revolving doors. So you do have to commit but I also think small touches are really important. And that's mm-hmm. where kind of organic mentoring is very powerful. So not all of my mentors sat with me once a week over coffee and whatever. A lot of them, you know, especially as I got a little bit older in my 20s, uh, began, I, I would talk to them maybe three or four times a year. But just those smallest touches could leave a huge difference. Uh, the president talks about that. He says, you know, he didn't know his dad very well. But when he was a little boy, his dad bought him a basketball. So he loves basketball. You know, he just, he just had a basketball game with Steph Curry. And it's actually they, it, kind of jokingly that the president Obama is teaching him how to shoot a jumper, you know, the best, <laughs> shoot, the best shooter of all time. Right. Um, but that's they frame the video around mentoring. And then the president says um, his dad bought him a jazz album when he was young. And so he loves jazz. And so just right. those smallest touches can be make a huge difference in a kid's life. It's just you do definitely have to be careful with your expectations. So if you come in and say, yeah, I'm your mentor now. I'm going to see you once a year. I mean, excuse me, once a week for the next few years. Then you need to uphold your word. Right. But if if you're more of an organic mentor and maybe it's the kids in your neighborhood, maybe you talk to those kids once a month, but you could still have an impact. And so that's kind of – you do definitely need to think about the kids first. And I like I like the idea of, of how to be – you need to make yourself available to kids. And then if you promise, you have to you have to fulfill it. Yeah. And that's good stuff. That is, that's really good. Um, I've said to people, and I just want to hear your thoughts on this, um, kind of putting you on the spot with it, but I, I've said that if we could just mentor and disciple males to be real godly men, that would go a long way to alleviating the orphan crisis. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I mean, you know, I think at the, at the heart of our issue, especially as Christ followers, at the heart of our world the real problem is sin. So, you know, the orphan crisis and the fatherless crisis, those are all, they all have different, um, uh, 
feeders and different things that are happening to create those. I mean, like you have orphans in, say, Uganda or uh, some of these places uh, that, that you've had genocides and you've had war. Um, and so you haven't necessarily had dads who've willingly left their home because they went to find greener pastures. Maybe their dads were killed mm. by machetes or something. Or you have uh, that same thing. You have refugees and you have uh, a lot of different issues. You have incarcerated. So you have also, you have, uh, it's not just, a, it, it very much agree with that statement, but there are some nuances. And mm-hmm. so like in our country, um, you have some pretty unjust laws that, that might keep a, a dad in prison. Uh, or here's another one that's real interesting. If you go into a, a low-income uh, housing project, uh, sometimes they can lose their, their welfare if a man is around or if a man lives in the house. Mm. And so it actually, it actually promotes fatherlessness. Our laws promote that because then if, you ha- if you're a woman and you're drawing your check, which you desperately need to feed your three kids after the, the guy's gone, you're encouraged to not marry your next boyfriend, and he actually leaves the house before the the guy comes to check on it because um, you don't want to lose your welfare check. And so there, there's a lot of different injustices also that lead into some of these ideas of fatherlessness. But but yeah, you know, ultimately, um, sin is our core issue, which just means we've missed the mark of God, and mm-hmm. and we live in that fallen place, and we're all the fallen. And so I don't speak as some kind of religious guy pointing at the world saying you're a sinner. I mean, I have to point at myself, and we're all the fallen. And that's ultimately uh, what we hope to redeem. And we hope, we know God cares about fatherless kids. And so uh, he talks about fatherlessness, um, I think over 30 times in scriptures. And he's a father to the fatherless. So we know that we need to care for these kids because God cares for them. And if we're to be imitators of him, uh, we're going we're gonna to have hearts for the fatherless to protect them, to provide for them. And so, yeah, I agree with that. Um, also, one of the great challenges, and you didn't really ask me this question, but I would say, one of the great challenges to reaching fatherless kids is because it's almost like we're in the same fish tank with them. You know, it's like we've just we've just seen them. They're the kids across the, the street or in the school or across the railroad tracks or the kids in prison 10 miles away from us in a juvie center. And they've been there for, you know, a year or two or three and they'll age out. And unfortunately, a lot of those kids will go back into the system. But the real federal system this time. And so the real trick and one of the great challenges of reaching fatherless kids, especially domestically and locally, is that it's hard to see them and it's hard to remember they're there. One of the greatest challenges that I face as a fundraiser, as the president of an organization who raises funds for this issue, is the idea of sexy justice is what I call it. So it's <laughs> like the refugees come along and they're important and we need to support them and we need to welcome them. And the Bible calls us to do that, to take care of the alien. And so, but what happens is something like that will come in and with social media and all those sort of things, they'll just dominate the conversation. And so you'll have that or you'll have trafficking. Again, a huge issue. Right. And, uh, but, but those kind of issues will actually kind of sweep through everything. And so kind of the local kids like that are in the juvenile center, uh, detention center, maybe 10 miles from your home, we don't even think about those kids. Right. But we're raising thousands of dollars for kids, you know, 5,000 miles away that need it. But it's just easy to overlook the people right in front of us. And it's almost like the Good Samaritan, you know, these religious leaders are on their way probably to church. They go to synagogue every day. So probably on the way to church and they keep crossing the road and missing the person in need. And then the Samaritan, you know, the half breed, the one who 
maybe in their eyes or their culture would not be the one to stop stops. And then Jesus just asks a real pointed question, which of these loves their neighbor? And so was it the religious people going to church, doing the church things, or was it the one who actually stops? Hmm. And so our faith is validated, according to James, our faith is validated when we stop, when we see and when we act. And in this case, on behalf of the fatherless, the kids right in front of us, they're, they're single or widowed mothers. And so um, that's one of the great challenges for the American church is to not just chase after the big, sexy, flashy issues. Yes, we need, they need help. We need water in Africa. Right. You know? We need to do that. We need to adopt from China. And we do. And a lot of people are called to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a calling. And so that's, that's great. We need that. But we also have to see the kids right in front of us. And in a lot of cases... I would say if we don't see the kid right in front of us, we might want to at least look at the kid right in front of us before we commit to going overseas. Just just look at him. It doesn't mean you're called to start a you know, shelter or something, but I just feel like we have to see the kids right in front of us. And so I'm constantly banging the drum for just the kids right in front of us, the kids that are fatherless, the you know over a thousand kids on waiting lists in this city or in Oklahoma City, the 200 waiting lists. Uh, in Oklahoma City, there's 200 kids on waiting lists who've been there for two or more years, most of them, whose moms have said, we need some help. And so, wow, what an opportunity, right? On the positive side, I kind of railed for a second, but on the positive side, what an opportunity for us, what an opportunity for the church to reach kids. They're coming to us. We don't even have to go there. There's no great commission. We don't even have to, we just have to like go across the street. <laughs> we don't even have to yeah. go to the ends of the earth necessarily. They're just right here. They're in our backyard. How easy and what a great opportunity for us to reach these kids. And, um, and so that's kind of our joy as well as my conviction. And I kind of hit it hard, but it's also our joy to, to go and, and serve the kids that are just right in front of us. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you are just a little bit passionate about this stuff. Um, that's what (laughs) gets uh, us all excited. Um, you know, you kind of, you kind of touched on a little bit, um, just kind of the mothers and the the women that are getting involved um, at, at various levels. I just want, you know, so often mentoring is kind of, um, I don't know if it's marketed is the right word, but it's kind of positioned as a, a male thing and something right. for men to kind of get involved with. But can you just speak for a minute of why it's important for women to engage this issue of mentoring and fatherlessness? Absolutely. You know, mentors, um, both genders do a great job. Um, and we've kind of promoted men a little bit more. So if you look at our videos, we, we've intentionally target, targeted toward men just a little bit more and not because they're better, but just because the waiting lists all over the country are filled with boys. And so most of the mentoring models that we work with, uh, we have men mentoring boys and women mentoring girls. And so uh, the last time we checked, which was in the past year, uh, 80% of the waiting lists, and that's over – a couple of hundred thousand kids that we know about, 80% of those lists are boys. So that makes the need being uh, men. And so if we can recruit men well, if we can recruit men well, then we know we can make a difference, we can reach them. But some of our best mentors are women, and they always are. It's almost kind of like they just this – is, this is probably sexist, but I already told you I'm a feminist. <laughs> women, women, women just do relationships better, or at least they prioritize them more. Uh, because some of, some of our greatest mentors, I mean, we've had a soccer mom from the suburbs come in with these gang kids and mentor in the projects and the kids just hang all over her and she's just as fearless. She like, we gave her mentor of the year last year and we have another girl that came on, came in and took on a, t- a teenage pregnant girl 
and she's mentoring her and helped her get special care. And these are, these are our best mentors, these, these fearless women. And so, uh, they can do outstanding work. And, um, and so we're so grateful for the women that mentor with us and it's equal opportunity, obviously. And we, we love having women mentors, but we just, we aim at men a little bit more because the need is greater. Yeah, and the other thing that I've heard, I think it was a Matt Chandler sermon where he said something to the effect that, uh, women, you have more impact on men than you could ever imagine, especially if a man finds you attractive. Um, you can pretty much get them to do anything they want to do. Um, so I think that that's something that um, I've, I've seen too, is just you know the, the ability for a woman to challenge a man um, to be a better man. Too, right. I think you know that was what as good as it gets. A famous Jack Nicholson line where he said, "You make me want to be a better man." You know, it's right. kind of cheesy, but there's a lot of truth to that. Have you, have yeah. you seen that? Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of times we'll see wives challenge their husbands uh, to do it, and that that happened with me when we lived in Los Angeles. Um, my wife kept coming to me because I was working on a dissertation, which became Fatherless Generation. It was my doctoral dissertation from Gordon Conwell. Mm. And uh, my wife kept saying to me, like, hey, you're writing this thing, but who are you mentoring? And I was like, oh, nobody was the answer. Hmm. And so I think that's another great challenge that we have is, you know, sociologists call it uh, intic, uh, etic. I think I'm, I'm, I'm saying this wrong. So if you're a sociologist, don't be mad at me. I'm not one. But it's, it's like it, it's etic versus emic or etic versus emic. And the intic are the people who are outside and they're full of the ideas. So they're the academics and academics are good. I love school, but they don't necessarily know the people personally. And the emics are the ones, the sociologists who actually move into the towns and study and learn the language, kind of like what Hudson Taylor did a long time ago in China. But that's the difference. And so that's the difference between moving from head to heart and hands. And so I was all in my head and I was writing a dissertation on this thing and it was calling the church and others to mentor. And my wife kept saying, Hey, are you, are you doing this? And, and so finally she said, I'm going to start praying that you would mentor, that you would, that you would find someone to mentor. And so like the next week, a single mom in our church came up to me just out of the blue and said, Hey, I would like for you to mentor my son, you know? And so there you go. My wife prayed that one in. And so, like you said, I've seen, I've seen wives and, and women make some incredible influences. And a lot of women have been great influences in my life. And so our youth group, that's another thing that you can do. And we haven't talked about this, but uh, in our youth group, my youth pastor and his wife, I got to see them together. So I got to see an intact uh, man and woman live together and be married and be normal and right. encourage me. And so that was cool to kind of see that. And that's one way you can mentor across genders a little bit. So like if my wife was mentoring a girl, we can we can take her to dinner or invite her over for dinner or and that way she can kind of understand like men aren't just crazy or they're, they're actually, you know, you could talk to them and, you know, so, right. um, so yeah, I've seen, I've definitely seen, seen that happen. Well, man, I could, we could just talk all day. I, I, uh, I know that we, we can't cause we both have things to do and this podcast isn't that long, but, um, I just want you to say real quick again, I know you started off the show talking a little bit about uh, three characteristics, kind of the three things in the field trading guide that you focus on. Can you just real quickly say those again and just briefly say what each one does and then just to kind sure. of tease people so they can know what they're getting when they get this um, field training guide a little bit? That's right. And so, you know, for us, we kind of boil it down to three things like how does your faith inform mentoring? And so we think one, that means you show up, that mentors win by showing up. Uh, you show up consistently, faithfully, and anyone can show up. You don't have to be special. 
And when you show up, you build trust. And so all these principles are relational trust principles, which we think transformation rides on the back end in the back seat of relationship. And so we're trying to build a trusting relationship with a child and we are recruiting and, and hopefully placing the best mentors with them so that they can become more like your mentor. So number one is show up. Number two is live out. It's the idea of modeling. And we want to model humility. We want to model sincerity and integrity and some of the things that they don't see in culture. You know, everything they see is be, be famous, be loud, be brash, uh, you know, criticize people, cut them down and bust them and posterize them and, you know, all these ideas. But we want to model Christ and, and we know they'll become like us as we model uh, whoever we model, whatever we model. And then thirdly, so show up as one, live out. And thirdly, it is speak in. And so that's when you've been given the precious trust to speak into someone's life, you know, with grace and truth on the back end of your relationship. And so we, uh, we know these three things are vital and, uh, we've seen them work and we've seen them transform a lot of kids lives. And so yeah, you can get the field guide. Uh, if you want to get the individual toolkit, there's a field guide, it's fatherless generation and it's a video and a couple of other things on the website at the mentoring project.org, uh, the mentoring project.org. And then, uh, the big one though for small groups has like 10 field guides and it has an ops guide and it's got a lot of other stuff in it too. So it's got like how to set this up, how to launch your own initiative. Right. And so if you're wanting to launch your own initiative, I would say get the big one. But a lot of people get the individual and we, you know, um, about, I don't know, five or six or 10 of those go out a week. And so that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is great, great stuff. And, um, strongly encourage. We also have that on the resources page of the Think Orphan website. We'll have it on the show notes for this episode as well. Um, two last questions for you. We ask these of every guest and I do know that you have given me a recommendation on music as you talked about earlier. So I'm going to have another musical recommendation. You, uh, in my, when you guest lectured, you talked about Andrew Bell, who has been become one of my favorite artists, but, Um. um, what one thing have you read or listened to? Not so much music, but we'll get to that too. You can throw that in as a bonus uh, question. What have you read or listened to in the past six months or so that has shaped your thinking about mentoring orphan care? Just these issues we're talking about. You know, um, you know, you said earlier that I haven't. I've actually been really busy, so I don't think I've read a full book in the last six months. <laughs> but um, I would say, uh, I would say, what I've seen on TV and in movies. And the, the pop culture that I've seen, um, I, I, you see the fatherless story kind of all around us. It's in movies. It's in songs. It's on our TV shows. Uh, like you're talking about the movie Creed. You know, there's a mentor story right there. And so um, I think just re- being reminded of the, of the fatherless story all around us. Um, and Hollywood is smart. You know, they want things to connect because they know if things will connect to their audience that it will sell. And that's what they're trying to do is make money. And so um, you see this follow the story everywhere. So the Lego movie, a good friend of mine wrote that movie. His name is Kevin Hageman. And uh, there's a fatherless you know, issue in that. And right. so and, and he grew up fatherless. And we've talked about that. We've talked about writing fatherlessness into stories. So him and I have actually sat over dinner and spoken about that. And uh, for years he was in my Bible study in L.A. And, and so um, Hollywood screenwriters, um, songwriters, they're all connecting to this idea because it's so powerful and it just is a, it's connecting to so many people. Right. I fully agree. And the last question, brother, what person has most shaped your thinking in the area of orphan care? You know, it's interesting. I would say, um, there's a couple. So 
It's the people who actually showed up for me. And that's what actually changed me where I said, okay, this works because it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who showed up for me, they still mean a lot. And I kind of romanticize about them almost in, you know, a very nostalgic way of, you know, and for them, they wouldn't think it was a big deal at all. The stuff they did, it's funny how when I talk to them now, they're almost like these mythical figures in right. my mind. But when you talk to them now, they're just like, man, you were, you were a great kid and I liked hanging out and we all hung out for three or four years. But in my mind at that time, these guys were literally superheroes. Right. Like that, that's what it feels like when you're eight and nine and 10 and you're scared and you don't know what men are like and you maybe your dad has left you or something. And these guys show up for you. They, I mean, it took me fishing. I shot my first deer. And so I would say the mentors who actually showed up for me have really influenced me the most. And then I would say secondarily, um, Robert Coleman was a big influencer and his pushing for the Great Commission lifestyle and that this is actually the mature Christ walk. So the mature Christ walk is not church attendance, tithing, going to the Western version of consumer church. It's that but it's so much more. It's it's um, mentoring. It's being involved in someone's life relationally, uh, where the creation mandate is to replicate uh, physically uh, through sex. The spiritual creation mandate is to replicate spiritually through the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And so, a Christian is mature when he or she is replicating himself spiritually through mm-hmm. the Great Commission and making disciples. And so, this is kind of. Uh, very much along the same lines of, of making disciples. It's just a little bit different than what we're used to. It's getting to introduced to a stranger or someone you don't know as well. You're probably not memorizing scripture the first time you hang out. You're not, you know, it's, it's different than like the traditional, this is a discipleship relationship and you're, I'm discipling you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very different, but it's, I still think it fits under the Great Commission, especially if that's your heart and you're a Christ follower and that's your intention to replicate Christ in someone. Well, John, uh, as we wrap up, I just want to thank you, brother, for your raw honesty and vulnerability in everything you do. Um, You wrote in the conclusion of The Heroic Path that your goal in writing the book was honesty. Mm. Well, I can tell you from my perspective, you've reached that goal with Flying Colors, not just in the book, but in our friendship and in our lives. And thank you for that, man. We need more men like you in this world. Man, thanks, Phil, for for having me on. And, and, um, you know, it's a blessing to, to see a podcast based on the idea of orphan care and orphan watch. And this is, this is something that matters. It matters to the heart of God. And, um, even if we can't become foster parents or we can't adopt the child, we can get involved. We can donate, we can tithe, we can tithe our time. We can write books about this kind of things, blogs, do videos, uh, um, maybe even write movies about it. So anyway, I appreciate you holding up the banner and having me on the podcast. Well, I'm glad that those of you out there that don't know John got a glimpse into this man's heart and mind. Um, He's become a friend of mine over the years, and I've just come to really admire and respect him for his humility, for his wisdom, and just for his deep heart for these issues. Um, Kelly, I'm sure you heard some of that. What what was it about what you heard from John that uh, stuck out and you want to share with, with everyone out there? 
I think just the overwhelming statistics of fatherlessness and the effects that it has on kids, you just can't walk away from that and not understand that there is such a need for men to father uh, their kids. And as someone who had an amazing father, I'm just incredibly grateful. Um, but also my children have a, a amazing father. And so I'm just incredibly overwhelmed with gratitude over that. But I thought one thing that he said about just the consistency part and the commitment to the, to kids. And I know one thing we have seen just as parents and just kind of a practice that we've put in is just having predictable patterns or rhythms in our family that are consistent. And the reason we do that is because it builds security into our kids. They kind of know what's coming. They have an expectation. And from that, it they're able to have success. And so that is, I think, just a foundational principle in any family. Um, but especially when you're working with these kids, when you're stepping in, um, because they don't see you not if you come around and then you don't come around, they view that and take it personal and it's something that's wrong with them. And so, you know, I think just the the aspect of really committing to a child that may not be yours just to be a good role model. Right. And I think that the uh, the idea is the three steps kind of the mentoring was something that was so powerful the first time I heard it. It was just three simple things, but they're so profound, especially when you're thinking about a child who may not have had a father in his life or had a father who's absent or really maybe even abusive. But the the idea that the three things, you know, to to show up, I mean, like you said, predictable, to predictability, consistency, to just show simply show up. But it's more than that. It's to live out. So you live out the reality. You, you know, you, you walk the walk or you walk the talk, you know. And then they see that. And as you earn that conversation, then you can actually speak in. But it's not something that you can just shortcut and go tell them what to do or tell them how to live. It's something you have to earn that conversation by building the trust, by showing up and living out. As a father, Phil, I'm curious, how do you see that role playing out personally for you? Yeah, this is a subject that is so important to me and something that I just really see in my home every day, the impact of um, the need for a father in a, in a child's life. And I see this in my 14-year-old daughter. I see this in my five-year-old son and, and, and my seven-year-old, my 10-year-old, and my 13-year-old. And those are boys and girls, and it's all different reasons why they need their daddy at different ages and stages. But it's so critical in, in every child's life to have someone um, who is a male figure, um, who is committed to them, who loves them, who they can look to for affirmation, who they can look to for identity. And it's ideal, obviously it's ideal to have that in a biological, healthy father role um, with a mommy in that house where they can look to see that relationship where the daddy is loving their mommy and where they are loving the child and, and being able to share that with each other. But as, as um, we've heard in, in our society from different pastors that I've heard from different people speaking, um, Matt Chandler most recently says, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. And that's something that I think it's important for us to hear because rather than going, well, of course a single mom can do it or you know, what, what are you telling me? And rather than feeling defensive as someone who is out there who may not be in that ideal situation, we can take a step back and say, okay, how can we 
speak that truth into their lives. As John was talking about, how, we, how can we speak into their lives the truths that they are created to do amazing things? Because I think that's such the important role of a father. In the first few years, the attachment is so critical for that mom to be able to attach and show that bond. And a dad can do that too, but I think that's truly where the mother is so much more important. But so many studies, so many different things that I've read out there talk to the, about the importance of a father from the ages of about six to 10, and particularly going all the way into the teenage years, for a father to be able to affirm the child, for the father to be able to help them to create identity. And for a little girl, it's for a daddy to be able to say, you are beautiful. You are created to do amazing things. You are created to be loved by others around you, to be loved by a husband someday. For that little boy to be able to be watch his daddy model to him what it looks like to love a woman well and to respect a woman and to to really be able to speak the truth into that. And those are the things, and it's so much more than that, but there is so much need for that in a child's life. So when a child doesn't have that father to tell them that they are worth so much, to tell them that they are incredible, amazing children of God, they're gonna seek that affirmation from somewhere or something else. And I talked about that a little bit in the interview with John, that song, uh, Just Like You by Lecrae, speaks to me so powerfully, because it's not something I experienced. As, as you talked about, uh, Kelly, I have an amazing dad who loved me and told me how you know great I was as a kid, almost to a fault. Um, but when it's these guys don't have it, and Lecrae talks about it in the son, you seek it elsewhere. He sought it for his uncles who were you know, going to prison, and he wanted to be just like them. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, is we wanna be just like those men and those women who are modeling it for us. I love hearing your heart, and I've seen you in your role as a father and just appreciate how you lead your family. And I think that that is so crucial as we attack the fatherlessness situation in the U.S. and around the world. What are some books you would recommend just on manhood or fatherhood uh, that have impacted you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many great ones out there. Raising a Modern Day Knight is a great one that is a classic for a reason. The book that I've been reading recently, and I just finished it recently, actually, and I plan on going through with my son, who just turned 13. It's a book, uh, it's not one that a lot of people really talk about in the space of fatherlessness and in, in truly, you know, in fatherhood, but it's called The Mansfield's Book of Manly Men an utterly invigorating guide to being your most masculine self. And it's kind of a funny book cover and a funny title, but Stephen Mansfield, who's New York Times bestseller, really goes through what what qualities, what characteristics go into being in true manhood and masculinity and, and not just, not what society says, but really what a godly man is all about. And it goes into uh, topics like humility and sacrifice and uses personal, uses stories of historical figures and people who did this and lived it out. And it's just a great, amazing uh, book of storytelling, but book that really can, um, I think, uh, help us as men to know what it means to be a man and know how we can instill that, those qualities in others. That's great. Thanks for joining us uh, this week. As always, you will have all the links to all the resources that we've mentioned in our show notes. And we look forward to being with you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. 
You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.